all right. Uh, and then I want to invite the children to come and sit with me at the front on the floor. So any of our children that want to come, you can come sit. And uh, I know in past we've sat on the steps. Why don't you all sit right here in front of me and you can see what I've got to show you today. Any of our other kids? Come on, Gabe. All right. I want you all to know that this is a time of the year that we focus as a church on international missions. Now, missions is when we go someplace else and we tell somebody about Jesus. And international missions means that we go somewhere outside of the United States. Now, we can do missions here locally and we can do it in the United States. But we talk about uh, international missions. And there are people that used to sit in our pews in churches just like ours that God has called out and they go and they tell people uh, about Jesus in many places of the world. And it's something uh, that's on God's heart, is that everybody would know the message of Jesus and be able to accept him as their Lord and Savior. But they have to be told. In fact, Paul says, how can they hear unless there is a preacher to tell them? Or someone to speak the message. And so there's all kinds of people. And some of those missionaries we've had in our church. And you've seen those. And I was looking in my office and I realized. I have things from all over the world. That I have uh, got. And um, this, this is from Kenya in East Africa. And it says Bwana Asafiwe. And that means praise the Lord in Swahili. So I think that's one of my favorite pieces. Um, on the other side of Africa, and Africa is a huge continent, on the west part of Africa, on one of my trips to Guinea, I cricket that probably Kendia Falls or someplace, you know, the little guy that sells these. This is a hut. Uh, this is kind of looks like a hut that they would live in. And that's from West Africa. My daughter, Hillary, went to Haiti and she brought me this little box that says Haiti on it. So that's how I know it's from Haiti. And there's a seashell in there, okay? Well, Brother Shane was in my office this week and he said, well, look at the camel. And I said, well, that's not a camel, Brother Shane. That's a llama from Peru. So my brother-in-law and sister in their church, they go to Peru. And this is a llama from Peru. I had a youth minister, Jason Losey, whose father was pastor here many years ago, and he went to Russia, and this is one of those, oh, excuse me, one of those Russian dolls. It's got a bunch of those little things in there, and oh, I'm sorry, yeah, I'll save that later in the, when Brother Cody's falling asleep, I'll, I'll just do that. What, what, what was that? Oh, that must be that doll up there that Brother Daryl's still playing with. Um, so... This is from Merida, which is in Mexico, and some of us went and we did missions work there, and I bought that. I noticed that has a sticker on the bottom, so we're not sure how authentic that is, but anyhow. Um, <laughs> and then we used to go years ago to the former Soviet Union, and we went to Moldova, and this was a little cup, wooden cup. And, you know, it kind of amazes me. One of the things I noticed is all these are made out of wood, uh, but they're all different. And they all somehow are a picture into the culture of different people in different lands. And so you look at that and you go, wow, what a variety. And there's actually more in my office uh, of things. Uh, that was what my two hands could get on this morning. Um, 
all kinds of cultures, all kinds of people, but the one thing they all need so that they can go to eternity is Jesus Christ. In many of these places, they will never hear unless somebody goes there and tells them about Jesus, and that's what missions is all about. And so we're going to watch videos during the offerings through the next five or six weeks, and we're going to take up our world mission offering. We have our little box over here that we do, and we collect money, and that money goes to our missionaries so people from churches just like ours can go and they can tell people about Jesus. And so we want you to know that there's some who have never heard and we have to either go or we have to make it possible for other people to go just like us so that they will hear about Jesus. All right, that's what missions is all about. We'll probably talk more about it in the days to come. All right, thank y'all. Y'all have been super attentive today. I want you to take the sheets of paper at the end of your pews. There's a sheet of paper and it says connect at the top. And on one end of the pew or the other, you may have to move. And if there's not enough for your row, if you'll get it from the row. Yes, in the balcony, well, yeah, they're either on that little white stand or they're at the end of each of the pews. I want you to have a little sheet. This is Brother Darrell's way of saying this is the final connect sermon. The notes have been printed. This is what we've talked about for the last 12 weeks. Uh, we have talked about that really our spiritual life, our Christian lives are just summarized by relationships. That's the way God made us. That was the very first sermon from the early chapters of Genesis, that God created us to have a relationship first with Him and then with one another, with other people. And obviously the, the, first, the starting point is so critical that it's first about our relationship with Him, that our faith has to be more than just some things that we practice or do or church services that we attend it is about a relationship with the holy god that made us in his image so that we can have a relationship with him it ought to be a daily way of life and it requires us spending time with him in prayer and in his word it takes a constant union we moved on in this fall to talk about our relationships within the body of christ with inside these four walls that those relationships are a reflection of our relationship with God that is first demonstrated in grace. There has to be margin in our life for differences and for failure. And this is the grace that allows us to have a relationship with one another just as it does in our relationship with God. Those relationships are bound together by truth and we talked about that one Sunday. Those relationships require time and energy. It takes effort for us uh, to have a network of relationships within the body of Christ and then it ultimately takes love we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 for the last several weeks we've talked about then relationships outside the four walls of this church those who are outside the community of faith and, and we 
have been answering the question, what does that take? How do we develop connecting relationships with those that are outside? And we talked about from the story of Zacchaeus how we must see people as God sees them. And Brother Cody talked about fishing and talked about those common activities that we have to uh, find as a context for spending time with people. And we talked about the story of the Good Samaritan and seizing critical opportunities in people's lives. If we're not there in those critical times, then we lose our voice to be able to speak to them. And then last Sunday, we talked about that none of that really matters. There's no way for us to connect people to God, which is the ultimate goal, unless we are planting the seeds of the gospel. That is our responsibility, to be communicating to those who are outside the gospel message. And um, in many cases doesn't produce any fruit but for some if we are faithful it will produce 30 and 60 and a hundredfold I want to close this series of sermons with that last point and it is that we must back up our words with our life we have to live it uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but people are watching you every day at work, school, social media, around town. Wherever you are, people are watching you. And I want you to answer the question this morning, at least in your own mind, what do people outside the church see in my life? What do they see? I would contend this morning that unless our lives back up our words, then it really doesn't matter what our words are. The way that we live will either give credibility to the message that we speak or our lives will be a stumbling block to that message. When we read the gospel accounts, we see that Jesus lived differently than the people of his day. And there were really kind of two responses to Jesus as they observed his different life. Some were threatened by that. Well, an ult the ultimate expression of that was the cross, that they killed him. Some, though, were attracted to that life. And I would contend today that Jesus has modeled for us the life that we ought to live. And the reality is, when people see our life that is lived different from theirs, yes, some will be threatened, but there will be some that will be attracted and will want to know, why do you live the life that you live? Why is that? Those are the people 
that ultimately we connect to God. And it's not just about our words. Our lives have to back up those words. Do you understand? Yes? You know, one of the things that I have noticed is that people that are outside the community of faith, they will hold, let me just use myself as an example, they will hold me to a standard that they will not hold their own lives to. Do you understand what I'm saying? In essence, they know, because I am a preacher and I'm a Christian, how I ought to live. Now, they don't buy into that, and they're not going to live like that, but they will hold me to a standard of living that they themselves are not going to live up to, but they know how I ought to live. I would contend the same is true for you if people know that you are a Christian. They may not believe in Christianity, but they know how a Christian is to act, and they will hold you to that standard all the while not being willing to live it out themselves. But they will judge you and they will critique your life in how they know a Christian ought to live. And so we are to live a different kind of life as Jesus modeled this. Some will be threatened by it, but some will be attracted to it, not simply because of the words that we speak, but because of the life that we live, that our, we back up our words with our life. In the New Testament, there's 27 books in the New Testament. The first four, the Gospels, the stories of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The next one is the history of the early church, Acts. And then there are 22 books after that. Most of those are letters, most of them written by Paul, but some like John and Peter, they wrote. And when you begin to read those letters of what they said in the early church, the writers of those letters, Peter, John, Paul, and others, James, they make this point that you have to back up your words with your life or otherwise you lose your voice. There's, there's, there's this little statement that says, uh, I can't hear, oh boy, I'm going to blow it. Your actions are speaking so loud I can't hear what you're saying. Is that it? I'm hoping that's it. I don't know. It's something like that. Do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> I just butchered that. <laughs> Your actions are speaking so loud, I can't hear what you are saying. And all through those pastoral letters of the second half of the New Testament, the writers are saying, you have to live it out. Your life has to back up what you have to say. And so there is a standard of living. I, there's been times in my life I, when people held me to a standard that they themselves were not willing to live. I thought, well, that's a little unfair and it's a little hypocritical and a little ironic that you would think, oh, I have to live like that and that's how you expect a Christian to live. 
but you're not willing to actually live that. But it is reality. Our lives must match up with our words. I want to look at two verses of Scripture, and actually I'm going to read a bunch of Scriptures, and hopefully you will get this point, because there are so many Scriptures that I could have used. But I want to look at Peter's words in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. And I think this is the best summary statement of that consistent message through all of those pastoral letters of the New Testament. And Peter says, Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. Here's the statement. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. That, that's the admonition, that's the center. So I'm going to talk about a lot of things today, but that, that's really it. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. I want us to walk just for the next few moments through these words. I think it's, uh, Peter's been talking about a number of things in the early part of this letter. But I think he kind of stops. Maybe he's been talking about some theology and some other things, and he kind of stops and he wants, to, he wants to get their attention, and he says, Beloved, it's a term of endearment. He's saying, Dear loved one, listen to what I have to say. And notice how he describes, well, really the force with which he, he begins to speak, because he says in verse 11, I beg. It's the word that's translated in other places in the New Testament, beseech. I don't know, Brother Cody, I don't know that we really use beseech much anymore, but if I ever said, I beseech thee, therefore, brethren, you know, we would think, well, that, that's Romans 12, 1. I beseech ye, therefore, brethren. It, it's like, it's this intense, it's like, hey, listen up. This is, this is very important. It is, uh, it, is, it is a strong word. I beg you, I beseech you. Listen, this is so critical. And notice how he describes them. He says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. These words uh, refer to someone who is a citizen of another... The, sojourner uh, is one who has citizenship, lives elsewhere, but is traveling through a country. And Peter's saying, in the spiritual realm, I want you Christians to know that you are sojourners. Your citizenship is elsewhere. You are simply passing through this country. This is not your place of origin or your citizenship or your ultimate destination. You're just passing through. But he not only says sojourners, but he also says pilgrims. Those who have lived elsewhere and have come at least for a temporary time to take up residence, we would call them aliens today. Not aliens like from outer space, but aliens from another country 
that have come to a country to live. This is not your home. This is just a place that you are either traveling through or have come temporarily to stay. Peter wants the Christians to know as he is going to challenge them to live a life that is different from the world. You are not from here. This is not your ultimate destination. You are sojourners. You are pilgrims. You are citizens of heaven. The implication is going to be that you are in the world, but as John would say, you are not to be of the world. This is not who you are. You are to live differently. The writer of Hebrews, Hebrews 11, speaks about this. Hebrews eleven thirteen, he said, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. This is not my destination. This is not where your citizenship is. The implication is you should live differently from that. And that's really what he begins to say in verse 11 when he says, Abstain from fleshly lust. What he's saying is a citizen of heaven whose conduct is to be honorable as a child of God, you are not to become uh, involved in the things that the world seeks after the fleshly lust, because it's not about this world or this physical realm or meeting our physical needs, but we are spiritual beings that have a spiritual home. All through the New Testament, the writers, the pastors of the first century were saying you must abstain from the things, the sins of this world. Peter says it in Romans 13, 13. He says, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. You are to be different from that. That's what the world does on a day-to-day basis. Paul also says this in Titus chapter 2, verse 12. He says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. There is a way, those of us who have experienced the grace of God and our citizenship is elsewhere, who are, who are living for a spiritual kingdom to not become involved in the things that the people of this world, that's all they have. Sometimes we get shocked at the way the world lives. That's all they have. This this world and the pleasures of it are the only thing they have. We shouldn't expect anything more. That is why we must share the gospel that there is something greater than that. We cannot become involved in the sins of this world. And he describes those in verse 11. He says, which war against the soul. These are the very things that work against our spiritual being. 
But the most important part of our life is our spiritual life and our eternal life. And then he says in verse 12, having your conduct honorable. When he uses that word conduct, he uses a word uh, that speaks about your manner of life, the way that you live. Not just a little snapshot of that, but this is the way you live day by day. Uh, the other word that is used in the New Testament to describe this is the word walk. Paul would say that, let your walk, the way that you live on a day-to-day -day basis, let that, your conduct. So this is more than just one little episode. This is the whole of the way that you live your life, your, your conduct. In fact, earlier in 1 Peter in chapter 1, verse 15, he says, but as he who called you is, you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. It's your, it's your conduct your manner of life, the way that you walk. Paul uses that term, walk, in Ephesians 5.15. He says, see then that you walk, the King James says, circumspectly. I'm not sure exactly actually what that word means. Mine has a note that says carefully. See then that you walk carefully, not as fools, who would buy into this world, but as wise, those that know there is something greater than this world that we are made for. In Colossians 4, 5, Paul also says, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside redeeming the time. And so one of the, one of the, the trains of thought through these pastoral letters is that he's saying, no, people are watching you, and they're watching you day by day. It's not just within the church, but it's outside the community of faith, the people where you live. They are watching you. Peter says it again uh, in Titus chapter 3. He says, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey and be ready for every good work. Here he says, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That was your life you once lived, but the consistent message and it is explicitly stated here by Peter that your conduct as a follower of Jesus is to be honorable. Do not let your conduct negate the words that you would speak of the gospel. Specifically, the command here is that your conduct would be honorable. And here's the phrase, among the Gentiles. Sometimes 
the New Testament writers use the term Gentiles to refer to those who are not Jews, but Peter uses the term here to refer to those who are outside the community of faith, almost the term that we would use, uh, we would say pagans, those who are not religious, the people that you live around and work with and go to school with. Let your conduct especially be honorable among those people, those who are outside the four walls. They're watching your life. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 32, well, 31, he says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Whatever the person is that's watching you, make sure that you are living, your conduct is honorable before them. And then Paul says in Philippians 2.15, he says that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Your life ought to look different. And I want to make this point. It is our responsibility to connect with people. But if our connection point is we live life just like they live life, I would say we have undermined our ultimate goal, which is to connect them with God. And when we live life like they live life, then we have lost our voice. To say, this is the reason I live differently. And sometimes we say, well, I will just live out the gospel with my actions and people will know. And that's not actually what the Bible teaches. The Bible is, says you must use words. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm going to offend some people this morning. That's all right, because you've got this hanging in your home. It says, and it may be a quote from Mother Teresa, and I'm sorry. She's a saint now. But it's like, preach the, girl, preach the gospel always when necessary, use words. I would say the gospel always requires words. People don't know why you live the way you live. You could just be kind of crazy. Probably they look and that's their first thought is, well, I think they're probably, yeah, a little crazy. No, you have to use words. But my point being, if our lives that we live look just like our neighbors and the people we work with and we go to school with, we have lost our voice. Our connecting point is not living a life like them. It's living a life that is different from them and then pointing them to the God who made us different. And so our lives must be different. Some will be threatened by that, but some will be attracted to it. This next phrase he says in verse 12 of 1 Peter chapter 2. So he said, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. And then he says, that when they speak against you as evildoers. This is what the world does. When you break ranks and you live life differently from them, then they're going to say, no, I'm going to find fault in your life. They're going to speak of you as evildoers. 
This, there has to be something in Peter's mind because he says this later in, in 1 Peter 3.16, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Live in such a way that when they want to find fault and nitpick and find a reason why you're a bad person, there's nothing there because you've, your conduct is honorable. It's interesting to me that the early church fathers, so those men who were leaders in the church right after the New Testament was written in the first and early century, second centuries, that they wrote in their writings that the Christians were condemned by the culture of their day. And this is what they were condemned for. They were accused of being haters of men because they didn't go along with everybody else. Hmm. They were accused of being anti-social because they didn't participate in everything else that everyone did. They were accused of being unpatriotic because they did not give homage to Caesar, the king. And the one that is the kicker to me, and I don't, I don't know which early church father wrote this, but he says, we are accused of being atheist. Do you know why the early Christians were accused of being atheist? Because they didn't worship the Greek and the Roman gods that everyone else worshipped. And so they called them atheists, those who do not believe in God or gods. My point being, and Peter is making that, they will speak against you as evildoers, but he says, let your conduct be such. Notice the last phrase of verse 12. They may, by your good works, which they observe. When they see your life that you are living, now the, the completion of that thought is they will glorify God in the day of visitation, but I want you just to suspend that for just a second. They may by your good works which they observe. That word observe is not for someone who just glances and sees something. It's someone who is staring at something and watching. And this is what I said in the beginning. People are watching us. Your neighbors watch to see whether you came to church today. Your preacher may not know where you are on Sunday, but your neighbors do. Because they're watching. The people at work, they observe. Now there may be, there's some of the bad things that you say, well I don't do those things. But they, they see other things and it may be things as simple as your attitude. Or whether you live in joy. If you're a student, they may listen to the words that you say or the things that you go along with. Oh no, they're watching. And it's not that they're just glancing at your life. No, they're staring at it. In fact, it's interesting that this word for observe is the same word he uses later in chapter 3. And he's talking about wives whose husbands are not believers. And he says, uh, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. That's the same word for conduct. But then in verse 2 he says, when they observe your chaste 
conduct accompanied by fear. When the unbelieving husband watches a wife day by day by day, they will see what their life is really like. Paul makes this same statement in, in Titus 3, verse 8. And he says, this is the, a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. The ultimate purpose, and he states it at the very end, is that they may glorify God in the day of visitation. When your words, when your life matches up with your words, that those that are outside the church, that day, and the only way I can describe the, the day of visitation is the day that God shows up and makes himself known. I, I don't know what that looks like or what that even is. And the only reason I say that is because the only time I ever saw this phrase in looking at this, is in Luke 19, verse 44, and Jesus is coming into the city of Jerusalem and he weeps over the city. And he says several things, and it says at the very end, because they do not know the day, the time of their visitation. God showed up that day and they missed it. The very Son of God came and they missed it, the day of their time of visitation. And I think Peter has that in mind. The day that God shows up, will they not only know the words, but will they see it backed up in the lives that Christians have lived to say, no, there has to be something about this because whatever that message was has made them different from me. And there is hope that something could change in my life. That we would live in such a way on that day when God makes himself known and makes himself real when God shows up that their hearts will be turned back to God. In order for us to connect other people to God we must live differently than them. To live like them is to lose our voice to speak the gospel. It's not just about not doing some things. Yes, people will observe what we do not do, but it needs to be more than that. It needs to for them to observe what we do. There's both, both a positive and a negative aspect to that because our ultimate goal is to connect the people that we connect with to connect them to God. And my final statement to you as your pastor is you have to back up your words with your life. Amen? Amen. Amen.
Would you stand with me this morning? This morning, let me lead us in prayer as our music team comes. Father, ultimately, our prayer today is that you would use us who have found a connection to you through your son, Jesus Christ, that you would use us to connect others to you. I pray that there would be strength within our body and you would develop our network of relationships and that they would know that you are God by the love that we have for one another. Father, I pray that you'd help us to be faithful. Father, to plant the seeds of the gospel day by day. And Father, in the times that we're not speaking it, that we would live it. Father, I pray that you'd change our lives. And you, you would use that, Father, to change other people's lives. So, Father, we pray we give you this time we would make those decisions that we need to make, Father, to live for you, and I pray it in Jesus' name.